I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Welcome to Heroes 3, the bi-weekly podcast where three friends explore the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. And this week we are kind of between arcs right now. Uh, we will, we'll announce what the, the next arc is at the end of the episode. Um, but we just finished up our look at gun action cinema, which basically means we looked at a bunch of John Woo movies. <laughs> and this week, kind of taking it in a different direction, we're jumping back into animation with uh, 2007, yeah, 2006? 2006. I, I see both years <laughs> on, <laughs> on the internet. Uh, with 2006's Paprika, which is the Japanese animated film, of course, directed by the legendary Satoshi Kon. And uh, Carlos, this was your pick. So uh, why was it that we, what even brought this up that we wanted to do this one? I can remember. I was trying to remember that too. And I definitely think we were just kind of throwing some, I, I think it just came up on our uh, chat. You, Yeah, I think you, you mentioned, mentioned Satoshi Kon or something, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I just, and that obviously, Carlos. yeah, I, I <laughs> thought let's, I, I love paprika and, um, when it comes to Satoshi Kon, there's, I mean, he's he's so great. Um, <laughs> I was like, well, give me an excuse to talk about it. Let's talk about it, right? So uh, <laughs> I think it fits kind of in line with some of the other animation that we've covered. I feel like, um, you know, we've we did Fist of the North Star and we did Street Fighter Two, and I've talked about in those episodes how this kind of falls in line with the uh, the seinen subgenre of anime where it's kind yeah. of more uh adult uh tuned anime where it's like uh, maybe a little more violent or approaching more adult topics but um satoshi kon really has his roots in uh in all of these uh ideas and paprika is a really uh cool choice to me because Satoshi Kon was really on this like really legendary trajectory and he's he is still a legend in many ways but um this really was him kind of flexing really hard and showing how how he his skill as a director but also his skill uh in what I feel is his eye as an illustrator and artist mm. so yeah um, totally paprika was the perfect way for him to showcase that this is uh based on a novel from 1991 by uh an, a writer named yasutaka susui and um he he was a fan of this novel for a long time and he actually originally was planning on making this into a feature after kind of his breakout hit on his own perfect blue and actually mentioning Perfect Blue, our friends over at Swim Fans covered Perfect <laughs> Blue uh, for an episode. And I definitely would recommend you guys go and check that out um, to kind of get a, more of a taste and actually really good analysis of that film through through their voices. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Paprika deals with dreams and uh, it deals with um, 
kind of a common theme that you will see in Satoshi Kon's work where uh, reality and a, a different facet of reality becomes a blur and uh, playing with the viewer's perception and capitalizing on their expectations. And uh, Paprika is a masterful use of his skill. And uh, I love it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It is just a gorgeous looking movie and really one of the most beautifully animated films I think Mm -hmm. I've seen in, in a long time. Yeah, um, and it's animated by Madhouse, who's yeah. like kind of a kind of a legendarian of their own and of themselves. For, and and yeah, Cohn anime. collaborated with Madhouse a lot, right? Is in his career is that accurate? So um, I can go a little bit into um, his history. I kind of for for the sake of the podcast, I wrote a little report as I am want to do sometimes. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> so if you guys will indulge me a little bit, yeah, I can course, get into it. that. So um, all right, let me take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and take a huge deep breath so like i said satoshi Kon was he was an art student he was an illustrator he loved to draw and uh he went to school in the 80s at the musashino art university and he graduated in 1982 so um just shortly after that he began working at the manga anthology young magazine you know there's shonen jump shonen sunday young was another one that existed at the time and at Young Magazine at this time he met Katsuhiro Otomo the the man that made Akira right so he <laughs> actually worked with him and actually as an editor he worked on Akira so oh, wow. um, this oh, cool. is like an amazing you know first step <laughs> in a career uh, yeah, in sure. illustration so this actually led him to work on his first animated feature which was Katsuhiro Otomo's Rojin Z I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but um, it's really cool. It's this feature where um, there's like this futuristic, almost like a hospital bed, but it's like a robot. And there's an old man that's on the bed and it kind of goes haywire and it has to do with all the mayhem with that. And it's kind of uh, sci-fi, but there's comedy involved. Anyways, so uh, he worked on that, and he was uh, one of the people that worked on design and key animation. So, oh, cool. uh, yeah, that's strong enough in itself, right? I worked with Katsuhiro Tomo. I'm in, I'm in the club, right? <laughs> <laughs> but following that, he would work on Pat Labor 2, and he did layouts for that film, and this is a film by Mamoru Oshii, who uh, many people know from Ghost in the Shell, and um, I mean, me personally, I really love Pat Labor 1 and 2. And he also uh, worked as the director for episode 5 of the 1994 JoJo's Bizarre Adventure OVA series. I bring that up oh, because, cool. yeah, I think JoJo's really popular these days because they went back and they're redoing the whole series. Well, they got to a stopping point right now, but mm-hmm. um, there so many people know. I mean, not just about memes about Dio and stuff like that but um, back in the day when I was getting into anime um, this Jojo's Bizarre Adventure OVA series was super cool and it kind of just throws you in the middle of a story but it was really supported by an amazing animation and uh, Satoshi Kon's work on that in this uh, episode it really focuses on Dio as this villain and um, I guess to compare it to something that maybe people aren't as familiar with it's like imagine if you were watching the x-men but anytime 
uh, they encountered another mutant, they'd have to investigate on what that mutant's powers are before they're able to defeat that person. And uh, Dio is like a very pivotal uh, villain in JoJo's and uh, one of the focuses is on what his abilities are. So episode 5 of that OVA really focuses on them figuring that out and it, it actually is a perfect example of how Satoshi Kon can play with cross-cutting in animation and uh, kind of fooling the viewer uh, with the camera. So Dio's oh, nice. abilities, this is kind of a spoiler, but his mm. abilities are revealed that he can stop time. So um, when he does that, before you actually are re- have it revealed to you, there's a lot of crazy stuff that Satoshi Kon does as a director to uh, establish that before you find out. And I think it's really, really cool uh, and worth checking out. So following that, in 1995, he worked on one of my favorite features. It's a film called Memories, and it's like a three-part compilation uh, feature. And um, my favorite story out of those three is a short called Magnetic Rose. It's directed by Koji Morimoto, who's an amazing director in his own right. Mm. And um, he, uh, Satoshi Kon actually worked as the script writer for this. And uh, this is another situation where uh, the whole focus of the, the plot is what's real and what's not real. So you can see that this was like you see a, a pattern forming. Yeah, and I've heard uh, Satoshi Kon talk in interviews how linear storytelling is just boring. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like he likes to keep things interesting, and uh, yeah, you can't you can't fault him for that. So um, after this, after he does all of these little things, he's he finally makes his first feature film, and actually, uh, it's called Perfect Blue. I talked about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually it, only one of his movies that I had seen before this. So, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Classic. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, it actually began production as an OVA. And as they were developing it, they turned it into a feature film. Um, have you guys ever seen Black Swan? Oh, okay, yeah. I, like when it came out. But yeah, I think I was reading that. Weren't there a lot of uh, maybe allegations that there's a lot well, kind of pulled from, from Perfect Blue? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's... Um, there's a definite influence if you're familiar with both of these works and um that comes up again shortly <laughs> yeah but um yeah. yeah so i actually following that and following the success now uh satoshi kone had actually planned to adapt paprika after perfect blue but uh he had like a distribution company that he was working with and they went bankrupt so he wasn't able to do it at the time so he kind of sidelined that um, so then he would follow up Perfect Blue with a feature called Millennium Actress in 2001. And uh, this film's really great, too. Uh, it's, it's a, it focuses on like a, a, an actress, but it also kind of cuts in between her roles on film and her real life, and it jumps back and forth through time. It's, it's really cool, really cool. I love it. So, um, <laughs> But the notable thing about that is this would match him up with Susumu Hirasawa, who compose the music for paprika who which we're covering today and after he does his work with him there they develop a relationship and he becomes a frequent collaborator with satoshi kon so the next film that he would release is a film called tokyo godfathers so this is kind of a more straightforward story it focuses on three main characters that find a baby uh in uh tokyo in christmas time and 
uh, yeah, so it's, like I said, it's more straightforward, still got a lot of heart, still really good, but um, around the same time, he would actually come out with his first uh, television series. Uh, it's a TV series from 2004 called Paranoia Agent. So this, for me, is something that at the time, I actually never watched it, and I've heard a lot of people talk a lot about it. So um, I kind of was like waiting to check it out, but then um, after Paprika and after Satoshi Kon's passing, I kind of have like avoided seeing it because I want to like save it. You know? oh, gotcha. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I, I get like, that. You, yeah. you don't yeah. want to have now seen everything because it's like, well, there's always the one more thing I could watch. I know that yeah. feeling. So it's it's kind of it's kind of yeah this kind of special thing. And I know, you know, some people are like, what are you doing? Like, you should watch it. But um, for me, I think it's like, I know how well he can develop his characters. And I know how well he can handle telling a story. And I can just imagine how good that is when he's not limited to just one feature film. And uh, I'm really excited when I do watch Paranoia Agent to see what he does with that. I know, like, what it's basically about and i haven't had anything spoiled for me thankfully but yeah I'll, I'll get to that someday but okay so after that he finally has the chance to do paprika so um we're gonna definitely be talking about this film now so i won't go into it too much <laughs> but um he actually planned to follow up the success of paprika with his next feature it was a film called the dream machine and I've heard him describe it as like a road movie, but for robots. <laughs> and um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, they were developing it, and uh, actually Satoshi Kon ended up passing away from uh, pancreatic cancer. And it was—I've read interviews where like his final things he he te- he said to the head of Madhouse is like, "Just please complete this feature." And sadly, it actually has never been completed. And there's some interviews talking to the head of Madhouse where he says that they tried to do it. Um, they said they have about maybe a little over a third of all the shots animated, but without uh, Satoshi Kon's vision. And honestly, what he said is without a suitable replacement for Satoshi Kon, he feels like it can't be done. So um, what he did say is it would be cool if a director maybe took took the film based on Satoshi Kon's concept and developed a whole film based on that instead of picking up Kon's work. But um, yeah. it's 2020 now, and uh, every couple of years you'll hear people ask mm. somebody about it, and they're like, sadly, uh, we don't know what's going to happen to it. So that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a huge bummer. But Satoshi Kon's work really speaks for itself. And uh, not only on film, but he's worked, uh, you know, I said he's an illustrator, right? He's done uh, a couple, a handful of manga. And actually, he worked with Mamoru Oshii on a manga, which is really cool to, to see. Uh, so there's quite a lot of work that if you're interested in checking out Satoshi Kon and falling in love with him like I did, um, <laughs> you, you can check it out. And it's, yeah. The, the the material that he's given us is actually so dense and so nuanced in its own ways that you can watch them over and over and over and pull pull more out of it every time. It's it's really great and he's like he's like one of the best. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what our timeline's at, but <laughs> that's yeah, kind good. of a good night, uh, folks. No, yeah, it's, kind yeah, of. Yeah, a, that's all. That's all you need. A brief lead into the works of Satoshi Kon, and actually filtered through my taste because all of these picks are stuff that I really like. But I feel like <laughs> if you like Paprika, you probably would love all of this stuff as well. No, that's great, and it's like such a treat getting some more insight on um, on this artist. And yeah, I mean, um, uh, if you're at all curious, I mean, I would recommend even just watching a a trailer for paprika i mean it just getting a taste of some of the visuals and just some of the absolutely like daring imagery and concepts of the film i think yeah that's probably going to going to pull you in um i think i'm still this is my first time watching it uh i'm ashamed to say and i think i'm still finding where i land on the movie overall um but that's fair but I think mm-hmm. I can say that it's like I, I think it was visually I think it's like a tour de force and I think yes. his his strength as like uh, an uh, storyteller through the medium of animation is just is really um, incredible to to experience and I think it's through those sequences where you really do taste something pretty profound uh, for me I think I'm I'm still not sure how I feel about how some of the traditional elements of writing dialogue character that sort of a thing if mm-hmm. if they really support the animation at that same at that same level but um yeah i kind of expect i'll i'll probably watch the movie again even after we talk about it just to mm-hmm. kind of continue processing it i don't know this was your first time too right matthew yeah it's the first time i'd ever seen it um and like i said i'd seen perfect blue so like i kind of i knew there's going to be some weird stuff going on, but this definitely is like, this is a whole, it's a different kind of approach to a weird, because Perfect Blue is more of like a horror movie or like a thriller. And this yeah. one's kind of like that, but it's not quite as like scary as some of the stuff that happens in Perfect Blue is. Yeah, even um, the genre itself is kind of fluid in the same way that like surfaces or gravity or space yeah. time is like in the course of this story, which is mm-hmm. amazing. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to forget the gift that <laughs> you sent after watching the movie, which is a great <laughs> oh, gift Steve, of Doctor Steve, Steve Brule, just kind of looking around, <laughs> looking around, yeah. trying to find his camera, like utterly <laughs> like bewildered. Um, which is yeah, so perfect. Yeah, that's great. Um, back in the day when I first like saw Perfect Blue, I was like the. I mean, you guys probably know my taste already. Where I'd like robots and fighting and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, when I was younger, I watched Perfect Blue, and I was like, "Why wasn't this just like a live action film?" You know. But <laughs> I, as I grew, I'm like, there's literally no way that. No you can do any of the things that Satoshi Kon wants to kind of convey with with a real film. Like, And I mean, that's exaggerated with Paprika, but even in Perfect Blue, um, you know, to merge like what's real and what's not real and just, I don't know, just mm-hmm. to be able to tell a story the way that, the way that he told it through animation is just mm-hmm. wonderful. Yeah, it's yeah. really great stuff. And like, yeah, so Paprika... Yeah, when it comes to the story itself and where it goes and uh, how certain characters act, you can yeah you can see where it's like mm, uh, it's starting to get to a point where it's like oh I know what's going to happen or what what you know where this is going to go and who the bad guy is obviously, um, but uh, 
when you get to these uh, sequences where he really gets to open up and play with the medium, it's for me, it's like nothing else. It's yeah, it's really almost really like cool. it's his native language or something and like what mm-hmm. he's able to communicate through these visual sequences that you've never seen before and none of the rest of us mortals could probably ever imagine. I mean, it's just it's just stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And really just the quality of the actual uh, animation and just the movement of of the characters is just like so high caliber. And also I would say like the the design of each of the characters, the sort of models are, they mm. feel very fresh. It doesn't feel like um, it's... Yeah, I mean, like it seems like look... it, it separates itself from like other like anime features of this time, you know. Yeah, like there are obviously there's some proportions that you know they're not realistic and that like people don't really look like that, but they have a lot more of a realistic look to them than a lot of other anime films do. The character oh. designer for this film, his name is uh, Masashi Ando, and he actually worked on some Ghibli uh, features, Princess Mononoke and Spirit oh, Away. Oh, wow. Awesome. Um, oh, cool. A feature that I really like called Letter to Momo he worked on, and more recently, I'm sure it, people that like anime have heard of Your Name, and uh, he did yeah, the character yeah. designs for that as well. And yeah, he's got a very confident uh, design sense in this film. Whereas, like, every every line on a person's face is so deliberate. Like, Atsuko, the main character, she there, there may be times, like, outside of her facial features, like a contour line or something, there will be, like, one and perfectly placed to give you a perfect sense of volume and a perfect sense of uh, beauty. And then you've got, like, the detective, Konakawa. He's got, like, these kind of hardened lines, but they're all... They're all perfect for uh volume again like i was saying and um uh tokita the big guy that i think you were alluding to matthew uh (laughs) even though his proportions are so absurd and ridiculous Mm -hmm. you can see that it there's almost this really strong like 3d sense to the space that yeah really really yeah oh yeah no he looks he looks great like Mm -hmm. i was actually it's funny i was actually thinking more of of uh the chief the really really Ooh. short guy yeah yeah shima. i feel like yeah. yeah shima i feel like he's more of a a guy you would see in like another more you know like your shonen kind of animes like the the super duper short you know the uh, master kind of person yeah there's the really iconic shot of him when he starts to freak out at the beginning where he runs down the oh, hallway boy, yeah. towards the window and that mm. run cycle and just kind of the motion that they capture there is so perfect mm-hmm. i i always remember it Oh, yeah. actually, yeah, I think I mentioned in the last episode at the end, but I was lucky enough to go to see this film in the theaters with uh, uh, my wife's cousins, and um, it was distributed in the U.S. through Sony Pictures Classics, so it got like kind of like an indie theater run. Oh, and that's I was, awesome. I was lucky enough to see that on the theater screen, which was amazing. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> yeah, it was so good. Yeah, I, I can't imagine seeing some of this stuff on a big screen, like... Yeah, it's wild. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess we should argue... probably we should jump into the movie itself. Sure. Before I was going to say, you could argue that a lot of people did see some of this imagery on a screen <laughs> later on, and I could talk about that when we're talking about the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, we should probably jump into the movie itself, but first, let's take a look at the back of the VHS. Oh. 
the DC Mini, a revolutionary prototype device that opens the gateway into one's dreams. Dr. Otsuko Chiba dives in using DC Mini and her alter ego, Paprika, helping people unpack troubles hiding within their subconscious. But now, the DC Mini has been stolen. Otsuko leads the team in tracking down the thief before they can do harm, blurring the lines between the dream world and reality. As the chaos unfolds around them, can Otsuko and Paprika find the culprit and save the world from a lucid nightmare? From the mind of Satoshi Kone comes the surreal sci-fi adventure, Paprika. So we won't dwell too long on the actual story of the movie, because the, the story in and of itself isn't that complicated. It's mm. just, you know, there's a technology that allows you to see dreams. Someone steals it, and now people's dreams are happening while they're awake, and they can't tell the difference. That's kind of the summary of, of the movie. Right, and it but, turns into this kind of mystery of why somebody would take that, and who took it, and what their ultimate goal is. Yeah. Yeah, and like, was uh, it an internal leak um, from one of the, the researchers on the project? And Yeah, so you end up kind of getting these shades of uh, sort of, detective mystery but mm -hmm. it never really uh pushes too hard into any one genre i don't think it's mm -hmm. it's really kind and of that's kind of the thing. and that's kind of the idea of it because that's uh the kind of the first character we see is the uh inspector kanakawa and uh we find out later in the movie that he was like a film student. And so that's why a lot of the dreams that we see him in are basically just movie pastiches and like, like Tarzan and like a spy thriller and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, so we get to see this first sequence and it just slams you right into this. It's a circus sequence and you, you get introduced to Konakawa who's, Played in the Japanese version by Akio Otsuka. Do you guys recognize that name? I don't. That is Solid Snake's voice. Oh, cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really... I mean, he's got... He's had many iconic roles over the years. But I think Solid Snake's a safe bet for everyone. <laughs> so he's kind of on the, uh, the case right here. And things get really crazy really quickly. So Konakawa is... Uh, you know, he sees a faceless figure out in the crowd and they accuse him. And uh, just after that, you've got this horde of people running towards him while he's trapped in this cage. And he sees that these people have his own face, <laughs> which is always <laughs> a creepy thing to see. And as they grab at him, he falls through the floor. It becomes like almost a blanket that he's falling through and yeah, yeah. totally like it's a the first of many times in this movie where something that shouldn't become like a liquid kind of becomes like a liquid mm -hmm. yeah it's almost like fabric of space time like yeah made yeah literal or something yeah. the thing that mm -hmm. i really enjoy about this uh first sequence is uh you as a viewer don't know that this is a dream uh, but it's giving you all those kind of sensations that people always talk about in their dreams where it's like, I was, you know, I'll punch at this guy, but I don't feel anything. Or, you know, I be, mm. I was falling and I had the. That's my favorite whenever he's running in the hallway, but he's just like not going anywhere. Yeah. And like the, the fabric underneath him is like gathering instead of him moving forward. Like, oh, yeah, that's. That's what running in dreams is like. All those familiar sensations that you have, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a person that 
you know, I've, I've talked to people that don't have dreams and I, that's like one of the saddest things for me to hear about because <laughs> I love my <laughs> dreams and I always have really crazy dreams. I'm pretty sure that I've talked about, did I ever talk about my Kung Fu movie dream? I, I had to. Well, I think you have really yeah, short, maybe really, not really on short. the podcast, but I think in real life. Yeah. It's <laughs> such a like specific, uh, setup. So basically I'm, I, my dream starts and I'm standing at night in an open kind of, uh, like a empty uh, intersection. It's like I'm in New York, right? And a newspaper blows in front of me and I read the headline on the newspaper and it says martial arts banned. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> but then what happens is I look down and I'm wearing an Aikido outfit. And as I look down and realize that, there's like a swarm of like a SWAT team like coming at me and I'm like, I realize what's about to happen and the dream just goes straight into like basically a Hong Kong action scene where I'm just fighting this horde of mm-hmm. SWAT team like with their fully decked out face guards and shields and stuff. That dream ruled. It was awesome. I'll, yeah. I'll never forget <laughs> that dream. <laughs> Anyways. Did, did you feel like outside of your body so you were seeing yourself like in a camera frame kind of there were like it's one of those things where you it's like both almost mm-hmm. you know right, how, right. Yeah. how your mind's eye just kind of there's like all no conflict that. with that yeah 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 it was amazing and yeah i even like can remember like it was like color graded blue like this kind of like almost oh, day dude, for night awesome. kind of look yeah. to it it was awesome yeah it was really great i'll talk so about like another golden one of my harvest crazy... looking, yeah, yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll talk about another one of my crazy dreams later in the film <laughs> but um <laughs> awesome. so what ends up happening here is you find out that this is konakawa working with uh, who we find out is the main character, Paprika. And uh, she has this device called the DC Mini, and it helps people. She uses it like therapy, but you can enter somebody's mm-hmm. dreams, which is like, whoa, how is that even possible? That's a really cool yeah. thing, you know, like science fiction here. Yeah. And then she, they, mm-hmm. she's also able to like record it on a computer and analyze it and play, like play it back like video footage afterwards. Yeah, because we see them in like a little hotel room looking at a like a laptop that has a DC mini premiere on it and flipping <laughs> through what just happened. Uh, and it's cool. Cause she's even like saying like, this is what this could be happening or whenever all of the, the people with, with Konakawa's face are running at him. She's like, why is it? They all have your face. <laughs> That's one cool thing I heard. Someone once say about a dream is you have to remember that everyone in a dream is you because your mind's the one that's making it. Oh, so I like, that. yeah, which, yeah, it kind of, it kind of changes the way you think of it. Cause like, you know, I'm sure we've all had times where we had a dream about someone and they did something crappy in it. And afterwards you're like mad at them, even though they didn't do anything. Yeah. Or you can even have kind of like a dream where there's like kind of a warm, like loving feeling and that, yeah. that feeling can linger with you after you wake mm-hmm. up, which is pretty crazy. Oh yeah. I don't, I don't know about you guys. We're all married on this show. And right before the wedding, I had constant, I'm cheating on my wife and I feel bad. I should be doing this dreams. Whoa. Oh, man. Like, That's probably I had a good like, moral check or something. It's, yeah. it's got to be some part of like your subconscious. like. And in the dreams, I was always like, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm getting married. <laughs> like, What's going on? <laughs> 
I love that. Ugh, you got to work that weird. out, dude. You should be. Fine. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, as long as it didn't no. like come I, up I during your up. toast or your vows or whatever. No, then that's fine. I, I looked it up, and that actually is a pretty common thing for, for oh, people I, who I are could see about that. to get married. So nice. It's funny because obviously the stuff that happens in this movie gets pretty nuts, but I really can't imagine what it would look like to be able to see your own dreams on a screen. Like it would look like just a bunch of blurry nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you'll have dreams that cinematically they just don't work, right? We talked about that a little bit already. <laughs> but um, honestly, I don't. I don't know if I'm just blessed, but I, there are many times where I literally have like these very linear cinematic dreams that are very vivid mm-hmm. that stick with me for a long time. You know, one thing that I've always meant to do but i just never have done is have like a dream journal where i like right when i wake up i just write down like what i had because Mm -hmm. honestly they're they're super entertaining and and when i (laughs) talk when i talk to people about my dreams they always are like whoa like i can't believe you just had like a dream like that and i'm like i guess i'm lucky i don't know (laughs) well dude that's awesome i guess if you think about it like you're probably more conditioned than like the average bear or whatever into like cinematic language and mm. thinking mm-hmm. i'd um, like to think so <laughs> so it's like maybe it calls upon that yeah actually um my wife tends to have a lot of these like action adventure dreams and then awesome. when she describes them, i'm like that sounds like the greatest thing ever but i'm usually the kind of like damsel in distress sort of figure that she has to like get out of some like perilous situation and that's hilarious and stuff. so that's pretty that's pretty cool Marty tied to the train tracks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, but I, I, uh, I sadly very rarely remember uh, my dreams. Like, oh what, no, like in my like adult life, and um, not sure what it is. And uh, unfortunately, like, yeah, when I do remember them, they're usually like pretty, um, pretty negative. Uh, more, <laughs> more like nightmarey. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of the. I have a dream and then I wake up and then I'm like, oh, that wasn't real. I don't have to deal with that. This my life's actually really good. Yeah, <laughs> like that's, that's usually that's, that's like usually how I wake relief. up. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, after this opening sequence, uh she she gives Konakawa her her uh business card, which just says paprika, and that kind of turns to our, our opening title. Yeah, dude, the way that that like moves into the title and then this whole opening title sequence is so great. It is. She's like, at first she's driving on like a little scooter thing and then she's kind of like flying through the air and then like jumping into like billboards and stuff. Yeah, she's uh, my favorite. My favorite is one that just says number one beer on it. Yeah, <laughs> that's so great. <laughs> I want some of that. You know, I think you could probably I'm not crazy about this, like classifying term, but you probably could describe uh, Paprika as like a, you know, the manic pixie dream girl sort of <laughs> kind of. Yeah. And this was definitely the era where that was like that was sort of on the on the rise. Um, yeah, as Juno era. Kind of. Yeah. She's almost got some like Mary Poppins energy going on. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Or almost like a gr- grown-up Kiki kind of too. Oh yeah, bit. sure. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Totally. Oh, actually, well, let's mention swim fans again because I know as we're oh, recording yeah, they just this, posted. they just posted oh, yeah, they're, a they're Kiki's delivery service episode. Yeah. My favorite. That's my, that's my wife's favorite uh, Ghibli movie. Oh, oh awesome. cool, awesome. There's there's no bad choice really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um. My favorite transition in this opening title is the 
my rollerblade guy she's she hops out of a restaurant and actually there's like a really cute thing where she's eating a burger and then some guys come up and talk to her even though there's no dialogue you see her kind of listening to them but there's like a a multiple images of her that kind of show her true feelings about them approaching yeah, that's her which so is great. brilliant and uh but as she jumps out of the restaurant there's a dude on a rollerblades that kind of takes up most of the frame and as he comes straight towards the camera you see that the image on his shirt is her and she pops out of that <laughs> and that's the transition there yeah, yeah so brilliant really i fun. mean yeah even in just this one tiny little opening title sequence there are just so many imaginative ideas here um and i think it does it goes a long way and kind of i think um setting you up for the sort of experience that you'll have um though it's maybe a little a little bit on the sweeter side than than how i would probably describe the actual tone of the movie but um Mm -hmm. i think that's i think that's smart too kind of putting you in maybe the most like receptive state of mind um for what (laughs) for what you're about to see yeah and then yeah it kind of ends with um this interesting uh motif that i i think sort of remains mysterious in the movie for quite a while and maybe it mm-hmm. like even until the end which is we see paprika sort of uh metamorphose into this <laughs> other woman this um dark-haired more sort of like somber looking uh older woman it's interesting i'm really curious how this works in the novel cuz at least the <laughs> The synopses that you can read of the novel describe Paprika as like the alter ego of this main character and the doctor. Mm-hmm. And maybe it works in a similar way where it's not it's not like rooted in like the rule like the laws of physics or like reality mm-hmm. at all. Um yeah, anyways, it's it's interesting because sometimes it seems like Paprika is supposed to only exist in dreams, but the very first time we meet her, she's very much in a real world hotel i Mm -hmm. thought Mm -hmm. um so yeah uh, and that's kind of the theme of the whole movie is a lot of but was that real or yeah it's sort of like blurry and like dreamy itself Mm -hmm. yeah i should also mention that um atsuko the the main woman whose alter ego is paprika her voice actress is megumi hayashibara who is like god tier uh japanese yeah uh, i have heard of her yeah, she's been in anything in the 90s. She's been in it. So Evangelion, she played Rei Ayanami. Uh, for me, I really love Rama one half. So she plays the female version of Ranma in, uh, mm-hmm. in that. And she was in Slayer. She also, like many other voice actresses, would sing uh, a lot of songs as well. So um, cool. the the cast for this film is fully stacked. So um, <laughs> following this opening sequence, she, she's arriving at her job and she encounters Tokita and he seems like he's trapped in an elevator. He's a very <laughs> large dude, um, but very, I would say uh, he's got this innocence to him, this kind of sweetness yeah. to him. And their relationship is uh, really endearing where um, she's never, well, there's a moment where she is pretty mean to him, but <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't really focus on his weight all the time. And they kind of play with you right here where you think uh, he's stuck in the elevator. But he's like, no, 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 that's not actually what's happening right now. And uh, the problem is that the DC Mini has been stolen. So uh, Tokita, this character, his voice actor is Toru Furuya. So he's also a legendary voice actor. And he's most well known for playing Amuro Rei, the main character in the original Gundam series. 
And he oh has, wow! Yeah, very oh, dude, iconic awesome. voice. Yeah, so this yeah this this voice cast. Those are like the three big ones: Akio Tsuka, yeah. uh, Hayashibara, and Toru Furuya. So um, yeah, it's it's really great. I actually mm-hmm. I, I'd imagine that this dub is probably pretty good, but for me it is oh, it's fine yeah for me having these people all in the same film there's no reason for me not to watch it in japanese <laughs> yeah. right right <laughs> uh i will say the one th- with movies like this that have such an emphasis on animation i always at least for the first time like to watch it as a dub oh. so i can focus on the animation of it yeah because like oh that's like an interesting um idea i, I totally like because I, I heard i heard someone on podcast say that that's how they recommended watching fully coolie because Fully Cooly is just nonstop crazy animation and stuff. And there are so, moments in Furikuri that have like so much dialogue being thrown at you right at the same time yeah. that I yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. So I, I kinda held that. But yeah, the dubs the dub's pretty good. All of the people are pretty like, you know, done eight billion things kind of, mm-hmm. you know, dub dub actors. Mm-hmm. Um the woman that does uh Paprika and Chiba is or Atsuko Chiba is uh Cindy Robinson. The biggest thing that she did was uh, she she's the voice of Amy Rose in pretty much every Sonic oh, thing. Nice. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> awesome. Um, and one thing that was one of the interesting other things I found was uh, uh, the in this next scene, we get to meet the like the old the old this old man in like a wheelchair. That's kind of this foreboding force over the the main cast. But his dub actor is Michael Forrest, who actually played Ken Ryu's master in the Street Fighter Two movie that we watched. Oh, nice. Oh, dude, nice. Good, cool. So, so, so there's your connection. You got me there with the Street Fighter mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But yeah, but in this scene, they, they're talking about the DC Mini and how, you know, basically if it falls into the wrong hands, then they could control other people and, and make them have these dreams while they're awake and stuff which then immediately happens to uh, chief shima who starts just spouting out this nonsense discipline yes sir true satisfaction that's what discipline brings even the five court ladies dancing to frog flutes and drums had it and so did the whirlwind of recycled paper computer graphics playing in my head and i like it I remember watching it like because I was kind of like half paying attention <laughs> and listening to the dub, and then I was like, "Wait, what's he saying?" <laughs> it's like, "Am I having an aneurysm? What's going on?" <laughs> but I would say, actually, that's one of the most interesting things about the movie is, is this very particular kind of like word salad um, that you hear from characters that are in this crazy shared kind of almost like infected dream. We'll come to understand, and so it's like this hodgepodge like collage of words that almost work together in a sentence but but really bend your mind and don't make any sense and especially this opening scene where you assume that you're listening to this really lucid smart scientist character and as he starts veering off it's like oh dude it's such a mind bender Mm -hmm. and And that's when we see the famous the i had seen the gif before of him running like looking kind of deranged down the hallway and jumping out a window Mm -hmm. yeah really really cool i I should also say that this film does use uh cg for it's mostly like for environments 
but it's yeah all, a lot of the backgrounds are yeah it's all CG. really tastefully done yeah and, or like mm-hmm. with the camera is supposed to be like first person and it's like pushing through an environment mm-hmm. you'll see like cg environments there yeah. yeah it looks really great yeah and even yeah. some this of character... it works better than others but it, you know it's, it's 2006 and i know this sounds bad but i just i don't think japan quite gets cgi in movies i don't know i feel like i've seen very few productions out of japan that have really good cg no that's a cool take i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm curious about that i could i could I'm, see that no i'm totally mm. with you there as well i in more recent years i have seen really effective use of cg in japan but for a long time they were um I don't know, almost playing catch up with the stuff that you would see in Hollywood. And I mean, which it's is, understandable because which is funny because it seems like in the game cutscene world, Japan isn't really considered far behind. Um, it's uh, so the thing so it's it's strange. The thing for me that I think of is um, when it comes to the world of animation in Japan, as beautiful as things look the money behind the animation industry is nowhere near where the video game industry is in Japan. And um, it's it's become a more hot topic recently, but um, there have been a lot of uh, different uh, animators and uh, industry people out of Japan that have actually been outing how hard it is to be an animator and how grueling that can be. But um, Mm. When you're looking at these beautiful images and you see like the result of this amazing artwork that these people are doing, you you just assume that everybody's got money because it just looks amazing. But hmm. the secret is, is is the talent and you know how hard these people are working to produce these things. And uh, I I don't know what, what the case is regarding Madhouse, but uh, they've always. Mm-hmm. Uh, from my eyes, Madhouse has always been one of my favorite animation studios going way far back to like Wicked City. And, and I think we mentioned Ninja Scroll on here before. So, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, video game no, is, yeah, it's is like, really, kind of it's like, like a different like, beast. Uh, yep. That, We're sidetracking no, really ourselves good. again. No, no, that's a really good, really good point, though. <laughs> yeah. and, and right after this, we get to see that the kind of crazy world word salad actually is describing a thing Mm -hmm. and like we (laughs) see this wacky like parade thing that's just this big hodgepodge of just stuff (laughs) and like you see like the statue of liberty next to a samurai next to like a knight and like frogs and uh, tanukis and like all kinds of weird stuff and it's all distorted together in its own way and Mm -hmm. um I don't know. Um, and it moves like creepily smooth. Yeah, yeah. I, that's what I was getting at. I don't know how much they use computers to assist in this animation, but it all looks hand-drawn. It all looks, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, like a standard animation. You don't see any like weird CG stuff going on. It's good stuff. And that this leads them to realize that the the person behind this is uh, Himaru, who is like one of their, their former co-workers. And who stole one of the DC minis. Uh, so they make their way over to his, his apartment. And this is one of the first times where, or the, I guess the next time where we see the world kind of shift from, from you being very sure that it's real to being like, well, is it a dream? And then, oh, wait, when, when did this become a dream? Yeah. Yeah. You and- almost kind of get this, uh, it's almost like a Nightmare on Elm Street kind of thing yeah. where um, 
people are in these dreams and they think something's happening but it's actually a device that's leading to their death and there isn't Mm -hmm. like a direct like a personification like a freddy krueger in this situation Mm -hmm. but it's almost like you're you're going through like a haunted house and something's going to kill you and you don't know what it is. So um, mm-hmm. when they're exploring this apartment, uh, Atsuko finds like a ladder in a closet and she leads down this ladder and um, it leads to this amusement park. And as she's uh, being kind of lured to this point, she jumps over a fence to get to this doll that they saw in the dream that had Himuro's face. Dude, this doll, man, is yeah. so <sighs> so scary. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really great. And uh And then uh, do you know anything about this? I probably shouldn't even like steer into this, but <laughs> I guess the the salute that you see throughout the movie a lot, is it Oh, you know any, yeah. Anything no, about, I don't know like what's going on there. Okay. I actually don't know. Um, one thing I don't I, think it's a Zig Heil if that's what you're thinking. <laughs> the but then it's yeah, kind of like, what I'm it sure looks it's like. not. But it's it's hard to like turn off that <laughs> yeah that like correlation or whatever. I get you. I think um, it's just it's just the doll has a stiff arm and is just putting straight up. That's how I was reading it at least. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. But this is a wild transition where she hops over it and then it's like she's actually hopping over the railing on the balcony. And, like, the world falls away to show the real world. Again, we have, like we said, this moment where something solid turns into, like, a a, a fabric almost that rips away. Mm-hmm. And that's when she realizes what she's actually doing. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Um, One thing that I'd like to mention before we move on is that this amusement park... As they walk in, there's like these two big robot figures. These are actually the characters that are in Dream Machine, the film that was never actually completed. Oh, oh wow, really. no way. Yeah. That's and awesome. it's really cool, too, because not only are those the characters themselves, but they're like these 70s anime versions of the actual yeah. character designs. They look yeah. like something like out of Astro Boy. Mm-hmm. That's really oh, yeah, cool. that is cool. Also, I love it's spoiling things, but there's a spot at the end of the movie um, where a detective character is seeing these movie marquees and it's all uh, posters um, for, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for like the director's own films. Um, yeah, it's really so cool. It's cool. It's like a Satoshi Kon like highlight reel. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yep. Yeah. Um, all right, we got to fast forward through this. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't want this to be four hours long. No, it's fine. <laughs> so um, moving a little far forward uh uh, shima their their boss the chief here uh he's still kind of stuck in the dream so paprika makes a point to go back and uh help him out and actually it's kind of cool how they visualize it um she like sinks into him it's a really kind of creepy there's Mm -hmm. kind of like this erotic energy to it but it's also this weird surreal uh uh like situation and as she sinks into him he begins to inflate and he like pops. <laughs> so that, yeah, that's, is, they do to snap which, him out of it. Which is, I'm sure someone's fetish. So, <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah more power to you. Um, so at the beginning of the film, Paprika gave Konakawa this business card and it has a URL on it. it says radioclub.jp. So he's at work and <laughs> he kind of sees the card and he's like, I'm going to look this up at work, which is like, whoa, you're at work, dude. (laughs) Yeah, be careful. (laughs) Yeah, rolling the dice. But anyways, it's an actual... Oh, cool. Sorry. I just typed in radioclub.jp and actually it's still a website that's still 
exists and like, <laughs> oh, like dude, click awesome. on the inter and stuff so yeah that's what i was gonna say so it's a, a url that still exists and actually yesterday i signed the guest book and it says that it needs to be approved by admin so we'll see if it gets approved so then my guest book sign in will be there <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that uh guest is kind book. of gosh it's totally <laughs> yeah it's kind of throwback <laughs> yeah it totally still has like an old like kind of early 2000s vibe to the site but um mm. in the film it's like a nightclub or like a little bar and actually the two hosts of the bar are actually satoshi kon and yasutaka susui the the novelist and the director himself are in the film oh neat oh yeah. that is so cool yeah but this is kind of the rendezvous point for konakawa and paprika so that's kind of cool mm. Yeah, I like that she says that the the internet and dreams are kind of similar because the the way they said it is that it's where the repressed mind can escape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that's that's interesting. I've never really thought about it like that. Yeah, that's yeah. Also, good. good to kind of remind ourselves like what our views on the internet were in two thousand six, which is like comparatively like I don't know, maybe sweeter, <laughs> a little more innocent. <laughs> yeah, maybe the end of this scene gets the revelation that Konakawa uh Paprika's prying a little bit and she's asking him about movies and you see him in this kind of uh open street with all these different billboards and he's very quick to deny it and everything closes up so you're getting a little insight yeah, he's like, into I don't the, like movies yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> the struggle that he's dealing with but um outside of that you're seeing that more people at the job are being affected by the DC mini and the uh, the terrorist that's kind of hacking into people's dreams and uh the chairman is kind of putting pressure on them uh because of the situation there's a a quick scene where they go to like the real life version of the of the theme park and it's like all all rusted over and overgrown and one uh one touch that i love is whenever she's going to like the exact same spot that she saw in the dream and whenever she's about to hop over, she like hesitates mm-hmm. to to hop over, and it's literally the exact same shot as before. Yeah, um, that's great. But this time it is real. But then a person like falls from the sky and and like smashes down to the ground. Yeah, and you see that it's this is Himuro that they've been searching for, and it's actually pretty crazy too because you see that the DC Mini that they've been using it's kind of like this headset that you put on but um for himuro it's like actually like absorbing into his scalp and you see yeah it yeah. seems almost like it's like an organic being or something like a parasite um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Talk, talking about akira yeah. oh dude yeah totally it's a lot of weird like bubbling kind of looks <laughs> so uh konakawa's on the case and he's trying to figure out what's going on now that we've got uh you know people getting hurt and he is friends with Shima, the chief. And that's what actually got him to have this session with Paprika at the beginning of the film. And uh, what he hasn't uh, seen yet, though, is Atsuko, who is the alter ego of Paprika. So here, when he's meeting with the crew, she shows up and he's immediately taken. You can tell that he knows right away. So there's like Mm -hmm. kind of a fun back and forth here where she's playing it very straight. Like her... 
her alter ego of paprika is like a secret that people shouldn't really know about because honestly you think about ethically <laughs> you know having this device and using this to kind of get into people's dreams and it's still in the movie it still hasn't been approved so mm -hmm. uh, the chief kind of threw a bone at konakawa here but i really like seeing uh konakawa kind of slyly kind of hinting at like he he's a detective he figured it out right away but him talking about things and alluding to who she actually is is, is pretty great <laughs> and not not long after uh or kind of back into kanakawa's dream and we see like the same oh the same imagery from before with like the the multiple kanakawas running at him in the circus and the the elevator and the, the hallway yeah, and, it's cool. Now he kind of sees some of the different um, like chapters of his dream as like floors and an elevator, mm -hmm. and Paprika is like the elevator operator. But then it it's about to get to the seventeenth floor, and that's the floor he's like afraid to to go in. That's the that corridor where he sees the the person being shot. Um, mm -hmm. I love that image where he's like resisting going to the 17th floor. And then you see the, the floor guide on the elevator turned to just all number 17. <laughs> That's great. There's a moment here, uh, you know, how everything's just slightly different. There's a moment when he's at the circus talking to the clown and he's describing pan focus to this person. And mm -hmm. um, what ends up happening is you're starting to see that, Paprika seems to be watching uh, his dream in a theater. You see it on a theater screen, which is <laughs> <laughs> pretty cool. So that that actually will end up paying off in his kind of revelations too. The other thing that you see is that um, the man that's dying that he says is like an unsolved crime, he sees his own face on that person. What? <laughs> it's like yeah, it's kind of like a kind of like an empire. <laughs> I see Luke sees his face yeah. in the elevator. Well, and then yeah. I think he asks, like, oh, have I killed myself? And then there's this, like, repeated line, like, oh, that sounds like something out of a mystery novel, which <laughs> is something that another character pointed out earlier in the story. Yeah. So all through this, you're also getting this uh, kind of perspective from Tokita that so Tokiza is the guy that developed the DC Mini, and Himuro was one of his coworkers, and it seemed like they were pretty, uh, um, pretty good friends. And he's kind of torn up about Himuro like being this terrorist character. So um, he also sees a lot of himself in what uh, in Himuro. So he decides to dive into the dream himself, and I I really enjoy that he's visualizing himself as kind of like <laughs> this fifties like robot toy. Yeah, with his face in it. Yeah, that and whenever we were cool. in Himro's apartment earlier in the right, movie, we right. saw the that same kind of robot with a picture of of uh, of his face and in, in it. Yeah, so unfortunately, like anybody that kind of enters this dream is kind of becoming susceptible to being infected by it. So this is going to lead to him being sucked into the dream and being a victim of it himself. Yeah. And we the, get this. I love this next scene. Where oh, yeah. uh, Paprika and uh, Konakawa are in the theater, and Konakawa yeah, so is, is basically just describing like basic 
or like essential film yeah like theory, the 180 kind of. degree rule and then he yeah. kind of it's it's actually this is a great little clip to kind of demonstrate what that rule is where it's like oh as you're editing um you don't want to uh cut to a shot where the camera has crossed this imaginary yeah line and then they kind of correct the the shot yeah like, yeah. like they cut to it in the awkward oh, angle and then it so just flips cool. around yeah yeah, like it feels really it feels also, like a like a like a Disney short teaching animators in like the dude 50s. I love that yeah like, the and the anime. dotted line is very much like Pulp Fiction don't be a square kind of thing <laughs> yeah. um, the the added uh, layer to this is that Konakawa is actually dressed like Kurosawa in this scene he's got the sunglasses and the hat oh that's who it is oh yeah totally scene. yeah that's awesome. Kira Kurosawa wearing a lot of times. Now, uh, unfortunately, this uh, dream is infecting everything. So as yeah. uh, Konakawa and Paprika are in the theater, the parade, this like kind of horrible parade spills into the theater mm-hmm. itself. And you also get this visual that starts to creep into the film where you, whenever you see dreams mixing together with other stuff, you see these blue butterflies. And as the film progresses, uh, it's revealed why that exists. Um, we get a, some more kind of like you were saying Akira kind of gross out like organic stuff going on when some characters run into the theater screen she is following them and she reaches her arms in and it's like just covered in slime as she pulls her arms out oh that's so gross <laughs> yeah. yeah it's cool though <laughs> mm-hmm. it is cool <laughs> cool um, and gross so now I mean Atsuko is really determined to uh, figure out this situation so she decides to dive in as well and the chief is kind of the i don't know guy behind the the computer uh, mm-hmm. in this situation yeah. and uh we got to get like an to... anime opening <laughs> yeah yeah right where pepper is like falling through the sky yeah we get, we got a shout out to our journey to the west yeah yeah she stuff. turns into the monkey king on like the the cloud <laughs> yeah that was the, great the crown and everything she looks really cool I was I was just waiting for the staff to extend, but it never does. So. I know she's flying on the <laughs> the cloud though, so that's that's yeah, really cool. That's, that's cool too. <laughs> so she's exploring this uh, twisted dream, and she realizes that there's a little, almost like a like an anomaly off to the side. And when she gets to it, she sees that the fabric of this dream reality is uh, splintered. And actually, this shot of her kind of going towards this shattered glass, uh, it this is. Uh, where I can mention that if you've seen Inception and Christopher Nolan's work, like he is definitely influenced by uh, a lot of the stuff that happens in <laughs> Paprika. And I was uh, gonna, I was gonna save all Inception talk to the end, but that, yes, that's yeah. The only reason I bring that up is because there's a very similar shot in the film. Oh yeah, yeah, with Ellen Page kind of touching this kind mm-hmm. of shattered reality. Yeah, yeah. There's. Obviously, the movies are different, but there's definitely a lot of stuff that it's like, you just, you kind of just took that. (laughs) Yeah. And again, I, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast and it's not like we're like, ha ha, like we caught you. I I just think it's really cool how influential, like some of this stuff that we really enjoy has been in media across the world. And uh, totally. And and also, and I know this like came up with City on Fire, but it's also, it's also not as though the the movies that we're calling like source material don't engage in the same kind of, uh, you know, like inspired 
lifting of other images from other things. Um, mm-hmm. There's also uh, so, like, yeah, it's fun like playing that game, but um, I think it's even more fun going a little deeper. Yeah, I'd like to. I I just would like to talk to Christopher Nolan about anime because based on the stuff that he's pulled from, yeah. I know <laughs> yeah, that he real. likes the stuff that I like. Because like if you watch Interstellar, um, uh, one of the earlier Gainax, uh OVAs that I really like is called Gunbuster, and relatively relativity in that plays a major role. And in Interstellar, you see a little bit of that in in, in there too. And I was like man that dude i know that i know we could talk about gunbuster and anybody i can talk to about gunbuster is cool with me <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> um what what we should say here is though um as paprika digs deeper into this area she starts to see that um some of the faces she's seeing are familiar faces that have kind of been around her the whole time so she sees this big statue of osanai who's one of the other employees at their um lab i guess you could say even beyond that as she explores deeper she sees the face of the chief like kind of it's like this world tree kind of looking thing and Mm, yeah uh, once he sees her she's like kind of like a dressed like a fairy here she's trying Mm. to escape and it envelops her and she wakes up and is like looking around and the uh, looking around at, at the chief and they drive over to to meet up with this like wheelchair bound. Uh, what's his name? The like the overall guy. They just the ball, call him ball. the chairman. Um, just call him the chairman. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, I know it's just he's just the chairman, but that almost feels like a kind of a cruel joke on the fact that he's wheelchair <laughs> wheelchair Whoa, bound. I love oh, it. Chairman. Man. That's oh, great. Dude, that's man. that's like a talking about Kojima. That sounds like a Kojima character. Yeah, chairman. <laughs> Oh man! If you snipe him when you see him the first time, you won't have to fight him later on. <laughs> hey, uh, I mean, no, if we is... stop the podcast right now and and pick it up in a week, then I yeah, okay. So I actually did that. I I oh you did yeah I did when when I was gonna fight him. I had heard about it and I was like, I want to see if that actually works. And I just didn't play it for a while and he was dead it was great <laughs> anyways i'm sorry <laughs> but, anyways, next um, week on the podcast we're going to talk about snake here for five hours yeah we'll have to have alex on for that <laughs> <laughs> um so here they're uh basically confronting the chairman but what you see is that he stands up and he's actually got these kind of tendrils like you saw mm-hmm in the dream and osanai the other man that she saw is also there so mm-hmm. you realize that this wasn't her waking up the whole time yeah. she's actually still in she's the still dream. in the dream yeah, yeah really, that was really, really cool. nice how they reveal that mm-hmm. yeah. another uh pull that i like that it's kind of fun for anime voice actors is that osanai the other uh guy who we're we're slowly seeing here is not a good guy um <laughs> He's actually pl- he, the the voice actor um, actually played Ryoga in Ranma one half, who is kind of like an antagonist to Ranma. And Megumi Hayashibara played Ranma, so you've got Ryoga oh, and well, Ranma yeah. against each other. And okay, and we were talking about Metal Gear, so we've got Solid Snake here, and actually um, the voice actor for the chairman Hideyuki Tanaka, he actually plays Otakon in Metal Gear. So oh, you've got there you go even more yeah. Metal Gear connections. Yep, uh, Solid Snake <laughs> nice. uh, as Konakawa and the chairman is uh, uh, Emmerich Hal Emmerich Otakon, which is really oh. cool. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. 
sorry the, the, the world of of the dub voice actors is so fascinating because like i know it's just they all do as much work as possible because it doesn't pay very well but the guy who does the dub voice for Osanai is Doug Erholtz. And uh, the one cool thing is most modern versions of Lupin the Third, he does uh, Inspectors in Nagata. Oh, cool. And, uh, <laughs> but he also has done Bubsy the Bobcat <laughs> in several things. <laughs> oh, so, dude, nice. So, oh. you know. That, that iconic character. Yeah, everyone's favorite. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> and also, all these people have done like 15 characters in Naruto. So, oh, if you yeah, care at all sure. about Naruto, then that. Oh, actually, this I haven't seen Pat Labor, but he does one of the characters in the Pat Labor dubs. Oh, who does well, it have? Uh, it says Asuma Shinohara. Okay, yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen Pat Labor, so. Okay, there well, in Pat Labor, Shinohara Heavy Industries is like the company that makes the. The, the labors, the, the robots. Gotcha. Yeah, cool. Connections. Yep. Paprika gets caught, and uh, she gets kind of captured and, and brought to this. Like, we saw her as a fairy, kind of like a butterfly with wings, and now she's, like, pinned down to a table, like like a butterfly with, like, the wings on the table and everything. And Osanai is just being a real, real creep. <laughs> and it's like... Dude, super... But then he starts, like, professing his love for her, like, mm-hmm. mid-creep, and it's... Uh, yeah. it's scary. It's scary. And also we have, um, like her dream is being, uh, projected in that same kind of like imaginary movie theater, but now for like the, the detective who's, who's watching it kind of like helplessly. And yeah, I love how we kind of like intercut between, between those things. There's this great sense of kind of like terror for what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. One of the most disturbing images in the movie is he's oh, like dude. like feeling her up and stuff and it's real creepy and then he goes down to her crotch and literally like pushes through it and then like drags his hand through her oh, body man. going up and yeah it's so, messed up yeah you imagine up. the scene keep like coming back and i mean hopefully not satoshi Kon himself but someone saying like no creepier no worse <laughs> <laughs> more horrific um but then it actually it, it culminates in this really sort of twistedly beautiful image, which is like yeah. that that disturbing globular hand moves towards her face, and then it's like peeling the face of Paprika, and as though it's a mask, and then mm-hmm. like unveiling or like a chrysalis because it's like yeah, the, the, yeah. the butterfly metaphor oh yeah sure oh dude yeah beautifully put and just the way that that is depicted um you were saying earlier carlos how even for the maybe the the zanier characters there's still the sense of like three dimensions and physics and just the way that this is all drawn um (laughs) luckily we never have to see something like this in the real world but it seemed it just it looks so like tangible so like Mm -hmm disturbingly tangible yeah, yeah even how this progresses because uh osanai's kind of got his hand around her neck but what you see is that he begins to uh, be taken over by the chairman like they're sharing this essence or or the chairman controls this dream you don't really understand you don't need to understand it because it's just absurd but yeah he turns into like these 
I'm, it's basically like tentacles and there's some like very like tentacle there's some, there's some very hentai feeling imagery in this yep. part but um Eesh. there's also the imagery of the chairman's physical form erupting out of Osama's oh. body yeah it's God, like a professor so cool. coral kind of yeah vibe. <laughs> yeah yeah and it's yeah, like it's slowly crazy. overtaking Osanai's head and they're like fighting over I guess who's the dominant head or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you've also got Konakawa who is now trying to burst into this scene by literally just forcing his way through the movie screen. Mm-hmm. And he's stretching the fabric of this, you know, a dream and he rips through it and is able to, um, to catch, uh, Atsuko, who's like, she's still unconscious and and naked, and there's this like grotesque being of Osanai and Chairman, and I like that uh, Konakawa as he makes his way out, he just takes a moment to look at them and say that it, they're disgusting, yeah. but it's actually yeah, comedic awesome. in how he says it, mm-hmm. and actually is followed by his like he has like this comedic animation to how he runs out of that scene <laughs> that I really enjoy. So. Uh, then you see that uh, the chairman basically takes over and you see that Osanai erupts into these blue butterflies that uh, we've seen before. And um, you also get to see that uh, Shima, the, the chief, has been watching and you see him, he's like asleep. <laughs> and you're like, oh no, he fell asleep while he's supposed to be watching. But he's actually like trying to force himself to go to sleep so he can help. <laughs> yeah. yeah, help in the dream. That's adorable. <laughs> then Kodakawa kind of goes through his his dream sequence, but now, like before, the faceless kind of assailant that was attacking him in the different dreams is now Osanai. Uh, I, I love how that escalates too, because um, you've got that pivotal scene where he's trying to shoot the assailant before he gets away, and he actually ends up shooting him, and it's Osanai, but. Um, just after that, he gets like this kind of action hero <laughs> sunset like victory pose, and he grabs yeah. uh, Atsuko and kisses her. And you're like, "Whoa, wait, what's going on?" And then she wakes up out of this by slapping him. But Shima's the guy that's actually in reality near her, so she ends up slapping him. <laughs> yeah, it's really yeah. fun. Um, this is also a resolution to what he was dealing with Konakawa because what he uh understands about himself is that as a film student when he was younger he had a friend that uh shared that passion and he was on his way um to uh basically achieve his dreams of working in film but his friend had ended up dying and um konakawa has like i guess suppressed that and kind of abandoned his dreams of working in film but um the kind of resolution that you find out about that is that um, and this is like right at the end of the film, his friend kind of in a vision tells him that in his real life, he's playing an action star basically because he's a detective, which is kind of a sweet touch for <laughs> yeah, his and that, like the, story. The sort of student film that they were making was actually it was almost like a, a better tomorrow kind of a vibe where it's like mm. a, two really close friends, but on opposite sides of the law. And I think he played this cop who was pursuing mm-hmm. his other friends. So he's like, oh, you you know, you ended up being that cop in the real, in the real world. And yeah, he gets sort of absolved by the, like the memory of his, his friend. Yeah, that's really cool. And uh, the, the 
side of this whole situation with Osanai actually getting shot and it almost seems like it's one of these if you die in the dream you die in real life <laughs> you know so he's uh, he appears in front of Shima and Atsuko in this bloody vision like a ghost almost mm -hmm. and then it cuts to seeing him laying dead on the floor in the chairman's room and it seems to us that the chairman actually wanted to use Osanai's body like, yeah, he like wanted to take over his body mm -hmm. or something. Some kind of like mad scientist villain thing where it's like, yeah. I want youth again. Yeah. This takes us into basically what leads to the finale here mm -hmm. where uh, dreams and reality are now like combining together like ultimately so um, there's a really crazy sequence here where the parade is erupting into the city and you see like normal people reacting to what's happening mm -hmm. you also get this really um absurd shot of all these salarymen standing on top of oh. the building smiling and they dive do like, off do the like a synchronized dive off the building yeah that's really great <laughs> um We've got these really fun, crazy imagery where uh, you see like people morphing into instruments and I like um, the cell phone heads. Yeah, there's these schoolgirls that have cell phones for heads. Um, actually, this is a chance for me to talk about this thing, and I've never actually looked it up myself. But it's always this thing that I've had growing up, where if I see like a, I guess in my mind it's usually in cartoons, but. Like, if you see, like, a person, like, an innocent person that, I guess, out of their own control gets turned into something unwillingly, that's messed up to me. <laughs> so, um, oh, dude, totally. There, yeah. there was a cartoon in the 80s called, like, Turbo Teen, where it's, like, a kid, like, would turn into a car. Like, and it, they actually animated it, and it looked really creepy. It wasn't, mm. like, a Transformer. It was, like, I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you guys, and maybe people I, listening know. I, but, I feel like I've seen that. Like, that rings a bell on my head. It was a stormy night when a bolt of lightning forced me off the road. My car skidded into a government laboratory where a top-secret experiment was underway. I swerved into the path of Dr. Chase's molecular transfer ray, causing me and my car to become one. The incredible Turbo Team! Dude, his transformation is so creepy, it's messed up. But anyways, also the intro to reading rainbow like the original <laughs> reading rainbow where all these kids are turning into like different astronauts oh, and stuff man. like even though that's like this whimsical magical thing and for the me, song is so great butterfly in the sky i can go twice as high yeah. yeah, me as a little kid, I was like, that's so scary. That's really messed up. Like, oh, what no. what happened to these? I've never looked into it to define what that fear is, but that's something that's kind of crept into my life in different ways. <laughs> wow. Uh, of being, like, transformed into some other thing against yeah. the world. Wow. Yeah. There was an episode of, like, the Adventures of Superman, like the Bruce Timm like cartoon where Lois Lane got turned into this like demon bat thing and like everybody in Metropolis was starting to turn into these things and it it messed me up and I'm like I didn't want to watch that episode anymore. <laughs> Have you seen that episode of uh Star Trek Next Generation where there's like this parasite or something that makes them like devolve basically? No. And like yeah. <laughs> and like Riker turns into like a Neanderthal and 
and Troy turns into like a lizard person or something. Whoa. It's, oh, it's wow. a wacky episode. Yeah, see, I'd have to, I'd have to see because for me in my brain, uh, all the examples I'm thinking of kind of have to do with animation. So I wonder if that's part of it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I can figure that out on my own. I'll let you guys know what happens. (laughs) But anyways, as all of this is escalating, you get to actually see this actually really cool scene where Atsuko and the chief are together and then Paprika shows up because the dream yeah. world and the real world are merging together and there's this interesting thing and Marty was talking about it before where you don't really know how these two characters relate to each other if they're the same person or if this persona is its own thing or where it exists but um, you get a couple of scenes throughout the movie where Paprika almost kind of says something to Atsuko and Atsuko's like, be quiet. Like this is, I don't have time for you right now. Yeah. So it's really kind of cool to see and kind of cool to just kind of come up with your own little theories about Hmm. where, how they relate to each other. Like if there's like like that. Yeah. yeah, I always, I kind of was interpreting that Paprika was essentially, essentially Atsuko knew that, if like something went wrong with the the DC mini, then whoever was like calling the shots would be just going after you in real life. Mm. So she had to like create basically like a superhero persona to kind of be her her avatar, I guess, in a way inside of the dream world, and yeah, just kind cool. of became Dude, her that's, own thing. That's brilliant. I love that. I like that she. I mean, especially in this scene, she has kind of her own agency, though. She's like, well, I want to do this. And, you know, so like Atsuko kind of is dealing. There's this whole thing about her and Tokita because Tokita's stuck yeah. in the dream still. And this is starting to kind of become more of a an important issue to Yeah, Atsuko. it's almost like she has something bordering on romantic feelings for mm-hmm. him or, mm-hmm. almost. Um, right. Which is actually really sweet how it's done and kind of kind of surprising if you mm-hmm. um have kind of zoned out and you're just following sort of tropes of like oh okay this sort of like slim heroine and this like morbidly obese man um those people don't like each other in movies so it's there's some i don't know there's something kind of like uh, uh genre breaking mm-hmm. about it that's really See, really sweet but i also was kind of thinking i kind of thought that uh, Tokita and or Tokita and Himuro were like not they, necessarily a couple, but like I feel like it insinuates that they had like a a more than just friends kind of relationship between the two of them. Yeah, and I think what you yeah. you could read is that maybe uh, Himuro actually had more oh, like un- unrequited of, kind of feelings. Yeah, I think yeah. that they don't state that outright, but the clues that they drop. Uh, when they're going through the apartment and looking at oh, right. some yeah. things kind of kind of read to you as like a, a jilted lover or something yeah. because you'll you'll see like there are all these pictures of them together mm-hmm. and Tokita's face is cut out of all of those uh, photos yeah. and then you also see some kind of like um uh like risque uh, man yeah magazines. It's, yeah it's like some homosexual like erotic material yeah. in the apartment so like there's these little things and they don't state that out right and they don't need to but it actually is kind of uh it helps to flesh out the the whole situation um where this situation leads though is that um 
Tokita's this robot, right? And he's now this giant-sized robot. And uh, Atsuko is trying to um, connect with him, trying to save him, basically. And this ends up developing into her having, like, an astral form where it's, like, this giant version of herself. And... Um, when she can like suck up the dark dream energy or something, right? Um, so like, but just before that, well, well, oh, sorry. you know, I'm getting to like, I basically the culmination of their relationship. So there was the scene at the beginning where she's kind of pulling him out of the elevator, and it's really cool how they mirror that seemingly unimportant scene at the beginning with this situation where she pulls the robot out of the building and he kind of lays in that same pose, and then it shoots you back to that original scene and they're kind of having this moment together and that's that's mm-hmm. really cool i think that that's really it's yeah, really fun yeah. but then, it doesn't get too yeah it doesn't it's, it's, get it then too turns to a kaiju fight <laughs> yeah this is where the movie's kind of like weird to me because yeah even like, weirder than it had been <laughs> yeah i guess what i mean is weird like i I don't know, like, the movie's so crazy, like, how can you really end this situation? But it just seems like this is kind of, like, the the easy ending that you could think of. It's like, oh, this guy's sure. a big, crazy monster now, and Paprika's got to do something to stop him. So, um, she, like... Yeah, it's almost like you were in this sort of, like, art, like art house movie, and it totally works, and it satisfies, like, a part of your brain to move into, like... Um, no, I'm gonna beat up like the big kaiju monster, but yeah, it's a little, it's a little different. Though I do really love how they depict her growth as mm-hmm. she like consumes the energy. It's really um, great. She like grows in like developmental age and size, um, and uh, yeah, pretty cool. It's really yeah. It's interesting how they yeah. Also, everything- different person's fetish of a gigantic naked woman. Just, just, oh, was she just, naked? I couldn't remember. <laughs> just, just yeah. taking off all the boxes. So she just like basically, yeah, completely consumes him, and then the sky opens up. Different fetish. Yep. <laughs> oh, dude, that should have been a drinking game. Um, for this every time you see a fetish, take every, a drink, or every time like you call call it out, different fetish. It's, like, <laughs> it's a cool like runner, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah now we have our epilogue so uh, mm-hmm. Tokita's okay he's kind of laying in the hospital bed and Shima and Konakawa have this kind of sweet little conversation between each other and this is where you see how um, the the development of him dealing with himself and his past with his friend um, you do get the uh, you know he's he, Konakawa is basically the focal point of the resolution of the film yeah and uh, it it actually ends with him going to see a movie, which is really another sweet moment. Here. Yeah, yeah. And and this is the scene where you see like the movie posters or other Satoshi Kon movies. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's Paprika. It's a. Uh, it's funny that you um what you were saying about Marty about how visually and stuff it's fascinating, but. It some of the story just feels like I don't know. I, I feel like, I just feel like a lot of the story could have been just told a little bit better and like a little more, not necessarily clearly, but just a little more coherently. What I, what I know about, uh, I guess what I've heard, I haven't read the novel, 
But um, oh yeah, it's worth mentioning the novel is entirely on the uh, Internet Archive, archive.org, which are the oh. the fine folks that host our podcast. So definitely all yeah. about supporting them. <laughs> um, nice. I'll post a link in the description. Um, I I have heard that uh, Satoshi Kon actually did smooth out a little bit of the story. I so I I don't I'm know sure. how much is lost in the adaption, but um, yeah, I think that when you're talking about like character development and kind of like um these similar themes that we see in this film but i think uh perfect blue handles a lot of that way better Mm -hmm. and um this kind of dichotomy of what's real and what's not real and but it's also in a different genre you know this is more of like fantasy action and i i i actually kind of like how light it is overall um, even though some of the tonal stuff kind of gets creepy and scary, uh, I'm really into like the whole and the this I I just love how this movie looks. So this is oh, always yeah. a recommend for people when I hear they're inter- interested in anime but they don't know what to get into because it's just one movie and it's its own thing and it just looks yeah, great and it just sounds great. And... Yeah, it just looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's an easy breezy ninety minutes. Yep. Yeah, and really a lot of the at least the sort of like u.s promo art either for you know dvd covers or that sort of thing uh it does a really good job of capturing just like the beautiful rainbowic like color palette that you Mm -hmm. have in in the dream um the kind of dream parade and um i don't know it's yeah the color is in paprika I, i mean that that could deserve its own like podcast subject or whatever, but <laughs> it's just a, such a beautiful looking film. And this is the kind of thing where I, I wonder what your experience would be like just having the sound off completely and having paprika on a loop while <laughs> you like paint or write or play the piano or guitar or something. Um, I imagine it'd be like, yeah, deeply inspiring <laughs> thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you so much for checking out our show. Uh, If you enjoyed it, then please leave us a review on whatever you're listening to this on. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at Heroes, the number three podcast on all three of them. And real quick, before we go, Carlos, you had a little plug for us, right? Yeah. So over the last handful of months, I have actually been working on another concept album with one of the Brueggemann brothers. Not Marty this time, not Will this time. It's actually mm-hmm. with Carl. So um, Carl and I created another concept album together, and it's based on an imaginary racing game. And the album's called Downforce. And it's not a chiptune album, not video. I mean, it is video game music, but it's all uh, live instruments, uh, full band. And Carl just continuously was like shocking me when he would send me these tracks <laughs> so again i had the pressure of living up to the brueggemann <laughs> brothers music no dude everything <laughs> i've heard is so stellar and yeah uh, the artwork i've seen is just like yeah a new a new level for you man so thank you super yeah excited. i i really put a lot of uh heart into the artwork and i did not i not only did i do album art but i also did a handful of pieces just to kind of flesh out the world that we've created with this concept album and by the time you're listening to this episode it should already be out it is already out and you'll be able to check it out and enjoy it and i just hope that as many people can listen to it and look at the artwork i created because i'm really proud of it and i know that carl's really proud of the work that he did with this too so 
please, uh, I'll link it to the blog post, and I'm sure we'll share it on our uh, social medias, but the album's called Downforce. So uh, now we are going to be diving back into a new arc next week, which is very, very exciting. And we're going to be kind of revisiting the second arc that we ever did, which was the Ladies of Kung Fu. So, uh, Carlos, what is our training for next week? Oh, I'm actually going to pass it to Marty because I know that he... He's a big fan of this. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, no, this is like such a fantastic film and I'm so excited we get to dive into it. So this is uh, 1994's uh, Wing Chun, and we've talked a lot about Wing Chun as a martial arts style. Um, this is a film directed by uh, legendary and um, <laughs> a favorite of the podcast, Mr. Yun Wu Ping, and stars are idol uh michelle yo alongside <laughs> donnie yen as in this kind of like two-hander and actually cheng pepe is in the film as well oh awesome um so we have some amazing returning performers uh and really the the tone of the film is just so delightful it's a kind of a great snapshot of that um you know post once upon a time in china period kung fu revival um but it's just really light on its feet super entertaining but the char- character depictions are just wonderful. Yeah, super excited about this movie. Awesome. Well, until next week, we're taking a look at Wing Chun. I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. We are the Heroes 3. Remember your training. Heroes 3 is part of the Mercado Brothers Podcast Network.